Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, happy to see you all here this morning. Um, we are, if we've not met yet, my name is JP, and I would love an opportunity to meet you after service if you're just visiting with us. Uh, if you're invited by someone, I hope that, that you just know uh, just how much that person cares about you and loves you. Um, and if you have been here for, with us for many years, welcome back home. We're glad to dive in together. Now, uh, we've been in the middle of this series called Be Still, and uh, we've been talking about this idea of finding silence and looking at the past several weeks. You know, uh, on the back of your sermon notes um, are the previous main points. You can look at those. You can follow up or catch up, I should say, um, online in various different places. Um, but for right now, we've got a lot to dive into. I've got a lot of good work, but a lot of work to do uh, through the scripture. And so what I would ask is if you would join me in a word of prayer as we get ready for what God has for each and every one of us this morning. Father, we thank you that you are here in this place, Lord, and I thank you that you have brought everyone here to this place as well. Lord, I thank you that each person that is here is someone who is created by you, is loved by you, and I pray, God, that the depth and the breadth and the width and the height of that love uh, would be so permeating all of our hearts this morning, because once your love becomes real to us, in that true life-changing way, then yes, everything does change. So God, I pray that as we dive into your word this morning, that I would decrease, you would increase, that you would speak in a powerful, personal, impactful way to each and every one of us that are here and each and every one that might be listening online later. Um, God, everyone who hears my voice is loved by you, and I pray that they would know that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So as we've been uh, in this Be Still series and talking about silence, talking about um, when we need to be still, talking about the margin that we need in our overloaded lives, talking about the idea of having a, a weekly Sabbath, a weekly choice. And I had the rocks here uh, last week. Uh, for the record, first service, all the pebbles fit in just fine. Uh, you guys got like the director's cut where I had to like, anyways. Um, so we had that here last week um, and talked about how there are certain things that we want to put in our schedule to carve time aside in order to make sure that they are a priority in our lives. And we talked about Sabbath last week, about a big rock, a one day a week, 24-hour period in which we set that a time and set it aside for the Lord. Now, one of the other rocks that we're going to be talking about today is this idea of a quiet time, but a little, bit, a little bit more than a quiet time in the sense of many of us might think of a quiet time as something that we, you know, we have a devotional and, and we read and we kind of have like a short prayer time um, and then we kind of go about our day. Or maybe we have some prayer for intercessory prayer and prayer for our requests and then we, then we go on. And, and there's, that's, that's great and we need to do those things. And we'll talk about those things more later today. However, if we have those times with God, but we miss one important aspect, then we're missing a large part of what we need to focus on. And that large part is this idea of listening to what God has to say as well. And so this past week, we're talking about all these things. And so I'm trying to be aware of these things. But um, one of the mornings, it was uh, me and Steph and Elise. Jalen was still sleeping. We're at the breakfast table. And, and Elise is telling me something. And I just kind of honestly, it was not... It was not intended to be rude, but I just was looking at my phone. Like I was just, it was there with me. I was looking down at it. And Steph lovingly, but clearly was, honey, put down your phone. Elise is talking to you. And I'm like, yeah, you, you know, you're right, of course. And so this idea of this kind of thing happens all the time where it's like, okay, I, I just, I need to be, we need to be more engaged and present to not tune out what's most important 
but to tune into what's most important instead. And so a couple of nights later, maybe one or two nights later, I was uh, having my, my prayer time, my time, my prayer of examine. I'll talk about later today as well. But this time at the end of the day where I slow down, I review my day. And for me, my quiet times have typically been um, in the evening in this season of my life because with kids trying to get to school and getting off to work in time, all that stuff, night is usually a time that my house is actually quiet. And so, you know, I'll do that and I'll have that time at the end of the day. And often I'll put the girls to bed, go downstairs, I'll go on my phone for a little bit and, you know, look at sports or whatever it is. And then I'm like, okay, I'm, I've, un, I've unwound from my day. Now I'm going to go into my time with the Lord. And I did this a few nights ago. And I remember as I was there and I was asking God, just kind of, you know, speak or what do you want to show me? He said, he, he showed me these words that my wife had just said earlier, because I was having my quiet time, but I was looking at my phone beforehand instead of prioritizing time with him in this moment. And so he said to the same things, like, remember when Steph told you to put down your phone because Elise is talking? When it's time with us, you need to put down your phone because I'm talking. And this idea of how easy, again, for me, and I don't think I'm the only one, hopefully I'm not the only one that struggles sometimes with eliminating distraction and tuning out the wrong things in order to tune in to God's voice. And so what I want to do is, is uh, give an example that most of you um, will know what this is. Some of you will take a little bit of explaining, uh, but I found this recently. I want to share with you. This is called a radio. Um, and so I remember uh, listening to this uh, contraption when I was younger. No, um, for this radio, we, we talk about this and we use this as an illustration because right here, um, we're going to have uh, different stations. And so... You can tune in and like, okay, this is a little off. You try to move it around a little bit. You're trying to listen to the, the thing. But what happens is you might find a station that you want to listen to. But then if we start going about our day, you start to change it. You start to kind of, you know, kind of have this moment where it's like nothing's clear anymore. You're not really sure what's being said. And that idea that you heard, that, that song that you heard or that station that you heard earlier is no longer coming in clearly. And we just kind of have this awkward, just uncomfortable, like, Oh, it's, it's hard to hear what's going on until you get back and you tune in to the station again. Now, first service, because there's no likes, I didn't know like what channel it was or what station it was on. And it turned out to be like Caleb. And I was really excited that it was like that. Because when I was rehearsing it last night, it was all just Spanish stations. Like, oh, well, it'll be fun. Um, but it's this idea of when we have... When, we have, when we're able to tune into God, we might hear God as clearly as you get, much clearer than you could hear that song or that station. When we don't keep tuning into him, it, all of a sudden our lives can just become static. We can hear that, that high-pitched sound that we can't really discern what it is. It just seems like different voices are telling us different things at the same time. We don't know who we're to believe or what we're to do because we hear all these different voices, all these different things. Our main point for today is the idea that everyone listens to someone. We must choose daily to tune in to the right one, that everyone listens to someone, that we all have these voices, these people who are in our spheres of influence and, and whose spheres we are living in, that 
You know, maybe it's our family, it's our friends, it's our, our classmates at school, it's our coworkers, uh, it's people we look up to like authors or musicians or whoever it may be. And they all are speaking into our lives. And if we were to say, oh, you know what, I just listened to that song for, for 20 seconds. Now I feel ready to face the rest of my day knowing that I have good Christian music or good songs in my head. We would say, no, 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 you, if you want to really listen to something, have it impact your life, it's got to be more than just a quick cursory glance at the beginning of our day or at the end of our day. But if we are able to tune out the wrong voices, the static and the things that we don't need in order to tune in to God's voice, and we are to do that throughout our day, we wouldn't say, you know, a 30-minute quiet time in the morning is, is great and it has things we're going to talk about. That is awesome. But if that's the only time we are even trying to connect with God, perhaps he may be saying to us, put your phone down or your laptop or your distractions aside. Because that signal that the radio station is, is always going. It just depends whether or not we're tuned into it. God is always speaking. But are we in tune to what he's saying by intentionally trying to listen to him? And so... With that said, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, looking at page 1503 in the church Bible. If you brought your own Bible, Matthew 4, if you use the Bible app, Matthew 4. But what I want to do is we're going to take some time to talk about how we need to tune out the wrong voices. Then we're going to spend some time in the middle of how to tune in to the right voice. And then at the end, we're going to give some practical ways for us of how to stay tuned in. So that's where we're going to go, tuning out the wrong voices, tuning in to the right voice, and how to stay tuned in. So for our notes, to tune out to the wrong, or tuning out the wrong voices. This passage we're going to go into is Jesus going into the desert short, right after his baptism, being in there for 40 days and 40 nights, fasting, and then being tempted by the enemy, by the devil. And so what we're going to do is, is look at what the way the enemy uh, tried to tempt him, different lies he wanted him to believe, and how those same kind of lies apply to us as well. Now, in order to get everything clear right off the bat, is this idea that when the devil speaks, there is no truth in him. He may try to ask questions of, of half-truths, but he never speaks in truth because he cannot. That when he lies, he is speaking his native tongue. In fact, we see this in John chapter 8, a passage in which we see how Jesus talks about how he is the truth and speaks truth. Later on, he talks about this, verses 42 through 44. He's speaking to the Pharisees and challenging them on whose voices they are really tuning into. He says, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me for I have come here from God. I've not come in my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to this truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That if there are times in your life in which you're struggling with something and you're asking you know, questions and you hear voices that say, you're worthless. There is no reason for you to be on this earth. There is no plan. Your family doesn't love you. Your friends don't love you. Even God's kind of ashamed of you. If you hear voices like that in which there is no kernel of truth, you can unequivocally know that that is 
the devil trying to lie to you and attack you. Now, if there are times when we pray and, or we are asking God and we hear voices of conviction, like God can convict us of things, and it can be truth, but it's truth spoken in love. He tells me to put my phone down because that's a convicting thing, and it's something in which I need to acknowledge. So when God is convicting us, we know that there's truth in it. But if we, are, if we hear a voice, and it is very clearly not speaking a truth at all, then we know that's not of the Lord convicting us. We know that's the enemy attacking us. We need to have that filter, all of us. And the best way for us to have that filter, guess what? Is to tune out the wrong voice and to tune into the right one. To know the voice of our shepherd because his sheep know his voice. And so when we get accustomed to his voice, we recognize that when, he's, when God is speaking and when the enemy or other voices are trying to come in. Because we know that the devil lies to us. We know that that happens. But we also know that the world around us, the culture around us, can often be the microphone for those lies. They make those lies seem louder. They make those lies seem more prominent. They make those lies seem more favorable. And they make those lies seem like things that we should pursue because everybody else is doing it as well. And so recognizing that we need to see that when we talk about tuning out the wrong voices, it's tuning out the static of the world and it's tuning out to the, of the wrong voices that are telling us the enemy's lies and the way that the world is trying to convince us that that's the truth. Because there is no truth in the devil. Jesus said it himself. He is the truth. God is the truth. Jesus is the truth. There is no truth in the enemy. And so I want to give that context because in your notes, there's this question that we ask, what lies does the devil want us to believe? Now, coming out of Matthew 4, I'm going to spend the next several minutes looking at verses 1 through 11, and, and I'm going to be um, using some of the um, information from Pete Scazzaro's Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. I mentioned that to you last week as a book I referred to about Sabbath. Um, we're going to refer to it again. Um, and what he does is he looks at the three temptations of Jesus. Um, hear from the devil and extrapolates how some of the temptations that Jesus was given. Because again, being tempted isn't the sin because Jesus was tempted. It's giving into the temptation that is the sin. And so Jesus was tempted with things and, and we need to recognize his temptations and then we will often see ourselves in those temptations as well. So the first temptation that um, Pete Scazzaro looks at from Matthew 4 is the temptation of performance. This idea that I am what I do, that my identity, that the lie that we often believe is that my whole identity, all my value is in what I do. It says this, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, there are many different ways to look at the different temptations. Um, there are many different ways and many different theologians have done that. The way that Pete was looking at it here is talking about this, is that this temptation happened to Jesus before he had done any miracles. This temptation happened before he had healed anybody, before he cast out any demons, before he had given his first sermon, before he had done anything. And so the idea is, if the enemy could convince Jesus, hey, you know, you, Jesus knows what his calling is. He knows what he's going to have to do. And so if the enemy could say, hey, 
you know, how are you going to die on the cross for the sins of the whole world if you haven't done anything yet? Why don't you do something small? Why don't you just, you know, just, just turn, these, turn these, you're hungry, right? Just turn these stones into bread. Do a small thing. Do something. And then that way it will affirm the fact that you're the son of God. But Jesus knows better, of course. He recognizes that we do not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What does that reemphasize for us with our point today? That we need to tune into the words from the mouth of God. That we need to know what it is that he says to us, because what he says to us dictates who we are, and who we are dictates what we can do back for him. And so he has this idea of performance that many of us, we've hit on this before when it comes to Sabbath last week, that it's so hard in our culture to stop for a day because we find our identity in how productive we are, how well we perform, how many gold stars we get as a kid, how many A's we get on our report card, how many um, bonuses we get at work, how many, whatever it may be, what school I went to, what neighborhood I live in. It's, it's how do I perform? How well do I do at things? And if I do poorly, then I must be less valuable. And that's a temptation to lie that we can all relate to at some degree or another, especially in our culture in which we have the American dream, which is to go from rags to riches, to make something out of ourselves, to be self-made men or women. That it's our performance that gives us value. And so Jesus says, no, 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 it's not the performance that gives you value. It's the word of God. It's the mouth of God and his words that speak to us that give us value. That's a temptation we could face, though. The next temptation is the temptation of popularity, that I am what others think of me, that I am what others think. Verse 5, then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Pete Scazzaro looks at this and talks about how Jesus being on top of the, the temple mount, being able to stand up there, that everyone would be able to see, that imagine the spectacular nature of this miracle, that if he were to jump off and then angels would fulfill the words of Psalm 91, that they would catch him lest his foot not dash upon a stone and being able to be saved, then everyone would be like, oh my gosh, who is that guy? What did he do? Who is he? He must be amazing. Let's listen to him. Let's follow him. Let's, let's, live. let's do whatever we want to do for him. Because people then are like us now in which we are amazed by the spectacular. And, and we want to follow. We, we want to lift people up because of what we think of them. And we want to be seen as spectacular. We want to be seen as amazing. That what people think of me. Man, if I do good things and performance, then people will think I'm valuable. That my value will now be something that is not intrinsic to who God made me. The temptation or the lie is to believe that my value is based on what everyone else pours into me. Because if you think I did a good job and if you think I'm valuable, oh, then I can walk off the stage and oh, I've got value. But what happens when inevitably the tide turns? Our value is found in what other people think. We as people are a fickle thing. Just wowed by the next spectacular, the next amazing. It seems like you guys want, to give a, want me to give you a good sermon like every week in a row. Like it's crazy. 
No, it's this idea that there can be that temptation, right? And so this popularity, I am what others think of me. Jesus says, if, or God, or sorry, the devil says, if you do this, people will see you. And notice this, just as a quick aside. What's the weapon that the enemy uses against Jesus in this passage? Scripture. How easy would it be for someone to take Scripture? And if we don't know Scripture, for us to be like, well, yeah, you're right. I should jump off of this. I should do that. I should do Remember, in Ephesians 6, when it talks about the armor of God, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace, the helmet of salvation, the shield of the, spirit, uh, shield of the faith, and the sword of the spirit, the only offensive weapon we have against the enemy is the knowledge of the word of God. It talks about how the spirit, the sword of the spirit is the word. And so we need to know it. We need to wield it. We need to be able to combat when people say, well, doesn't the Bible say that? We're like, yeah, that's, that's one part of it. But guess what? We can't just get one sentence out of the whole Bible and have it be something where you're getting the full context of it. People want to pick and choose arguments, pick and choose scripture, but we could say, hey, here's the story of God. Here's the entire thing. And every scripture is God-breathed. But if we're not careful... People can use scripture against us if we don't understand and fully know it all throughout. So then, the last thing we look at is there's performance. I am what I do. That temptation to believe that lie. Popularity. I am what others think. The temptation to believe that lie. And then third, it's possession. That I am what I have. Verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said. If you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. That the devil thought that he could give something to Jesus, but truly Jesus is this firstborn of all creation, that all the nations are under his footstool anyways. And that's why he could say, get away from me, Satan. You have nothing to offer me. But the temptation can still be, look at all these kingdoms, look at all this wealth, look at all this power, I'll give it to you. What you possess is where you find your identity. And so we do that, and if that's one of the ones we struggle with, then we work really hard, yes, but that's because we want to make money, we want to buy more things, want to get a bigger house and a better neighborhood, we want to have more garages in order to fill with more stuff so that our cars can't even fit in our garages anymore. I mean, we want to just fill it up and have so many possessions that in the end, we've talked before, that our possessions end up possessing us, that what we own ends up owning us. And so this idea that it cannot be, we cannot Tune into the lie and believe the temptations that we are, have our identity in our performance and what we do. We cannot believe the lie or give in to the temptation that we are what other people think of us. We cannot believe the lie or give in to the temptation that we are what we have or what we own. Because when it comes to possessions, we've heard the joke before, you don't see many hearses that have a U-Haul attached to them. We cannot take them with us. And so we need to remember, we need to tune out those voices and we need to tune out the world that perpetuates and continues to model those lies for us. We need to tune that out and erase that static so we can tune in to the right voice. So let's go here. The next section of tuning in to the right voice talks about this, <clears throat> that Jesus, we want to remember, we gave the same context that the devil 
is a liar. He's a father of lies. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue. In contrast to Jesus, who doesn't just speak the truth, but he is the truth, the way and the life. John 8, 31 and 32, which we read, was earlier in John 8, the same passage we read, says, to the Jews who believe, also, sorry, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you've been in the bondage of believing the lies of performance, the lies of popularity, and the lies of possessions, if you've lived that, then the truth shall set you free. What is that truth that God wants us to know? Not just the lies that the enemy wants us to believe. He wants to convince us of a lie. He wants us to believe something. God, there's truths that he wants us to know that are true without a shadow of a doubt. Because Jesus in John 8, 45 and 47. So he talked to the Pharisees in 42 through 44. 45 through 47. This is what he continues on to say. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God, hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. So as we're emphasizing the need to hear God's voice, to tune into his voice, and it says, whoever hears God is one who knows God. He hears what God says, the words of his mouth. We need to tie all these things together. So in your notes, what truths does God want us to, to know? So what I want to do is I'm going to ask you, if you're in Matthew 4, 1 through 11, I'm going to ask you to turn one page behind you to Matthew 3. Matthew 3, 13 through 17, in this section, we won't read the whole thing, but in this section is the baptism of Jesus. And it's this moment in which we see God the Father through the voice, God the Son, Jesus being baptized, and God the Spirit descending like a dove. We see all three piece parts, beings of the Trinity in one place. This doesn't happen often. So let's pay attention to it and see what it has for us. That in Matthew 3, 16 and 17, it says this. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love with whom I am well pleased. And we can look at that verse and say, no, that, that's amazing how much that God loved his son. But we also need to co compare that or, or in addition take into account that John 17, 23, when Jesus is praying for us, John 17 is his final prayer in Gethsemane and, and he's praying for his disciples and for the believers who are to come after he prays for himself. When he prays for us, he talks about then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, the disciples, even as you have loved me. So this is another piece of the puzzle. Today's sermon is kind of like we're taking different, um, we're taking different pieces of puzzles and putting them all together. Or my previous pastor at my old church, he would do these sermons where they were, um, I called them smoothie sermons because he would show you something like a fruit. Oh, this is a really nice uh, fruit. I was about to say apple, but apples aren't in smoothies very often. Um, you know, here's a really nice banana. He puts it on the side and said, oh, look, here's some strawberries. This is really great. Then, oh, look, here's some blueberries. And then what he does is he creates the tension and out comes this delicious smoothie. Oh, I didn't know where we were going. This is fun. This is one of those sermons where we need to look at different pieces because if we realize we need to tune out the wrong voices, we need to tune into the right voice, then we need to hear that God loves us the same way he loves the son. 
Not that we are perfect, not that we are, you know, without sin like Jesus is, but that same kind of love when Jesus is praying is telling us that he loves us even as he, God, has loved Jesus. And so when we hear this, verse 17, this is my son, Matthew 3, 17, this is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. That those words can become markers for our identity as well. That he spoke that to Jesus. He, he said, I'm proud of you, Jesus, before Jesus had done anything as a miracle, right? He, he's saying these things, and it gives Jesus the ability to then face the temptations because he was so tuned in to the voice of God. He heard it, and thankfully, all of us got to have a moment of looking into the communication of the Trinity by writing, having them write this down. But he was then able to face 40 days and nights in the desert. He was then able to face hunger. He was then able to face the temptations from the enemy because he already knew who he was. The enemy had nothing to offer. What does the enemy have to offer to someone who already knows the Father? And so what are the three things that we see how Jesus and his, who he was in God can be who we are too? The first thing, what truth does God want us to believe or to know? Identity. You are my son. Now I'm going to take a moment here because when I was at Arrow Leadership in one of my... Um, one of my times about a year ago, there was a moment where a guy was presenting and he was talking about this passage and talking about this verse, Matthew three seventeen specifically. And what he said was, I know it can be hard sometimes for especially guys to understand the idea of being called the bride of Christ because it's just, it's just different than our experience that a bride is someone who's pursued and loved that when we are called to love, husbands are called to love wives as Christ loved the church, it's to make them holy, to keep them blameless, to love them um, in order with the water of the washing of the word. It's this whole idea of being the beloved and the desired one. And sometimes for some guys, I'm not trying to overgeneralize, but his comment was sometimes that's a hard thing to understand because it's just different. Now, he's like, this is what I want you to do. I don't want you to miss the importance of, yes, being God's child, absolutely. How great is the love the Father has lavished upon us that we might be called children of God, and that is what we are. But in this section, when it talks about being God's son, that having the spirit of sonship has another layer of it. Because when we're children, when we have God's children, we are able to still have the, um, the brotherhood with one another and sisterhood of Christ. We're able to be children of God and call upon God as Abba Father which is beautiful. But specifically, the idea of being a son and the idea of sonship isn't just community with other believers and, and, and um, that. It's the idea of you're also going to be the ones that will be able to receive the inheritance left by the Father to be able to do and to have what the Father does and has. So it's the idea of if we are sons, then we are then able to recognize that we are the inheritors of God's love, of his power, of his hope, of his life, that is something that we are now experiencing that, and we are that inheritance of passing down just as an earthly father might give something to his kids. In that time, sadly, daughters weren't allowed to have that same ability, so they would give it to their sons for the most part. Well, we now are able to be recipients of that sonship, of that inheritance that comes from calling upon God as our father. So what does that all mean? 
It reminds us, if you want to just write the scripture reference, because it's not on the screen, um, but write the scripture reference next to identity, you are my son, Galatians 4, 4 through 7. Here's what it says. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons. He's not just talking to men in this passage, right? You are his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you an heir. You are now part of the inheritance. Galatians 4, 4 through 7. So our identity is in not what we've done or what people think of us as the fact that we are God's children and we are his sons who can inherit the gifts that he has for us. Number two, when it says, Matt, uh, this, is, this is my son, the next part he said to Jesus, whom I love. This is security. You are loved. Period. Not you are loved, dot, 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 if you perform well. Not you are loved, dot, 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 if people think highly of you. Not you are loved if you have lots of good toys and lots of things to play with. You are loved. Romans 8, 38 through 39. Romans 8 is my favorite chapter in the Bible, top to bottom. Romans 8, 38 through 39 says this, For I am convinced, this is the end of this, the chapter, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Not your past sins that you're holding on to, still thinking that somehow that's not enough, that, God's, that the cross of Christ isn't enough to forgive us of those sins. Not, not that. Not our future struggles that we're still going through and crying out to God. And not the future hardships that we don't know what's going to happen yet. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. If we just say we love God, but we don't have a relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ... If, if, if we claim to know God, but we don't know the Son, and John 8 tells us that we're missing out, we see that we need in Christ Jesus, there is nothing that can separate you from how much God loves you. And if you were to just be still this week and just have a moment of just saying, I am the Lord's beloved. And just whisper that over and over until it becomes real. It might feel awkward at first. It might feel like, I don't know if this is true. Because when I say God loves you, that's not a platitude that a preacher says. That is a truth that we all need to know. That is not something that goes, oh, well, yeah, I mean, that's for the person next to me. Because if you knew what I struggle with and you knew my sin, then there's no way you would say God loves me. Hey, guess what? I don't know what you struggle with. I don't know where you sin. But I do know that God does, and yet he still loves you. And so you have security that it's not about the fickle nature of what other people think of you. Because what God thinks of you is that you're his beloved. He loves you deeper and more widely than the heights and the breath is more than you could ever possibly imagine. Yet it's our joy to try. Thirdly, this is my son, identity, whom I love, security. 
with whom I'm well pleased, that you are highly valued. You are highly valued. And all this, these three sections, identity, security, and highly valued, come from Dr. Calvin Brown at Arrow. And he talks about how I'm proud of you because you are mine. And then if you want to add in the next little section there, I'm proud of you because you are mine, parentheses, not because of what you've done, but because you're mine. That, again, Jesus hadn't performed miracles yet. Jesus is 30 years old, and he's just coming into the public ministry. No one knows who he is yet, except for John, who's like, there goes the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. People haven't followed him yet. There's no disciple. I mean, it's still this moment of God says, I love you, my son, and I'm proud of you. I'm well pleased with you because you're mine. That Deuteronomy 7, 7 through 9, write that down and read it with me on the side. This is the Old Testament that God says this to the people. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other people, for you were the fewest of all the peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath that he swore to you, to your ancestors, that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. Get this, verse 7. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than the other people. You were not, the people were not chosen because they were the biggest, the brightest, the smartest, the fastest, the most clever, the most financially stable. In fact, they were the fewest. They were the least. That God loved his people because they were his people. Not because they were perfect, they didn't perform, not because of their possessions, not because of their popularity. He loved his people because they're his people. My daughters, they don't always do everything that I wish they would do, and there are times when I'm very proud of them, and there's sometimes I'm like, oh, I wish you hadn't done that, or, or there's a mistake, or whatever it may be. Guess what? I love them because they're mine. Because God saw fit that out of all the parents in all the world, he thought that me and Steph would be the best parents for them. Not the perfect parents, but the best for them. And so we love them because they're ours. God loves you. If you've given your life to Jesus, he loves you because you're his. Not the best, not the brightest, whatever it may be, because you are his. You are highly valued. And we've used this analogy before, but we're going to use it again, that people will pay $100,000 to get two tickets to game seven of the NBA finals. And is the physical piece of paper, the ticket that that is printed on, worth that amount of money? No, of course not. But something is as valued as what someone is willing to pay for it. And you are so highly valued in the eyes of God that he would send his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's how highly valued you are in God's sight. That the price Jesus paid, he paid for us. And we may experience new life with him and know what new life even looks like. So we've taken some time, tune out the wrong voices, how to tune in to the right voice, the voice of God. Now we're going to take the last five or seven minutes of how to stay tuned in. What are the practicalities that we do with this? How do we make this happen? Because when we talk about Sabbath, we talked about the why, and then we hit on a couple of the hows. How do we make it happen? And that's a weekly thing. That's something you have to plan ahead for and do this. When it comes to 
this idea of staying tuned in, it's a daily choice. That we could get distracted by our phones or we could hear God's voice say, put your phone down because I'm speaking. And how do we do that? And it's something where you might, what I'm going to do is uh, another pastor I I respect says this a lot when it comes to doing ministry. He says, I'm not going to be prescriptive. I'm not prescribing what you have to do. I'm going to be descriptive and describing what I do. So you don't have to do the same thing. Well, JP said this, this, and this. Maybe that's how you do it. Maybe it's not how you do it. But these different items are so valuable for us to be staying tuned in to our relationship with God. So the first one is the idea of silence. We're finding silence in this series on Be Still. The craziness of school starting up again. How do we find silence? We have to choose daily to stop and to be still. If you've been with us every week of this series, you've probably heard the word silence, stillness, stopping. I mean, there's several of these that we've heard over and over again. You know why? Because we need to hear these things over and over again because they're that important. But this idea to choose daily to stop. What does that look like? For some people, first thing in the morning, they, have, they wake up, their coffee pot is on a timer, and the coffee's made by the time they go downstairs and they have their Bible and their time of prayer. Awesome. Some people, you're like me, at the end of the night is the time when it's quiet. Then you go ahead and you pray and you have that time with the Lord. Awesome. Some of you may decide to do what's called a daily office in which there are multiple fixed points in the day in which you just stop, even if it's just for a couple minutes, and you stop just to be still in the midst of the whole rigmarole rat race around us. And it might be in the morning, it might be at midday, it might be in the evening. So there's different ways to describe it, but the idea is to be still, to choose daily to stop, emphasize on daily, and to be still. And in order to tune out all the voices, we need to remember what Charles Stanley says, that God's voice is still and quiet and easily buried under an avalanche of clamor. All that static, all those voices telling us this or that or follow this or live this way, we need to tune that out to tune in to the voice of God who is still and quiet, that he whispers because he's close and we need to hear his voice. For me, how do I do this? What's the descriptive way of how I do it? Is I mentioned it earlier, it's a prayer of examine. This is something that started uh, by St. Ignatius of Loyola hundreds of years ago. It's examine, E-X-A-M-E-N. It's not like I'm gonna examine something. Um, it's spelled differently, but the idea is that it's a prayer that you do at the end of your day. And the way that I do it is there's an app. If you have an iPhone, it's called Reimagining Examine. Um, There's another one. I mean, if you type in examine, there's several. That's the one that I use. Um, But what it is, is that if you take at the end of your day, and how it always starts is you just ask, you slow down, try to eliminate all the clamor, avalanche of clamor around you. For me, one of the ways I do this, you don't have to do this. Again, this is descriptive, not prescriptive. Uh, one of the ways that I do this is I try to, when I, you know when you breathe in, it calms you down, right? You kind of get, you slow down. What I'll do is I'll often breathe in and breathe out. And as I'm doing it, I'll just say the name of God. I'll say, Abba, Abba. You could say Jesus. You could say Yahweh. You cannot do breath prayers so they feel weird to you. Again, descriptive, not prescriptive. But that's something that I do is I breathe in anyways and breathe deep breaths, breathing into the name of God. And I say, Abba, because I need this reminder not to give in to the different temptations, but to remember that I am God's son. So he is my Abba, my daddy, my father. 
And so I will do that and I'll pray. And then I'll do this prayer of examine where you recognize things that you were grateful for of this day. God, how did you show up? And you pray and you ask God to reveal things and you thank him for it. Then you have moments when it's guided in different ways. Maybe there is a conversation. Say, what, think about your day hour by hour. When did you show the love of God to someone? When did you fail to show the love of God to someone? When did your words build up and encourage? When did your words tear down and discourage? What are some underlying emotions that are you're wrestling with that are on the surface? If we just kept on a surface-filled life, we would never dig deep enough to understand the pain that we're working on. Hey, why did what that person say bother me? Well, it bothered me because I respect that person and I really care about what people think because popularity is one of my struggles. I mean, it's going layer or going beneath the layers to see what it is that God might be showing us and speaking to us and revealing to us. We cannot go beneath the layers if we're stuck having a surface relationship with God. And so it's being still, diving deep. And for me, that stillness means praying and listening to what God has to say. The next one, again, a word we've heard several times in the series, is silence. But silence is this idea of realizing what prayer is. And with that, I want to connect to Soren Kierkegaard says this. A man prayed. And at first, he thought that prayer was talking, but he became more and more quiet until the end, he realized that prayer is listening. That if we just talk at someone across the coffee table or having dinner with someone, we just talk at them, we don't listen. Is that a relationship? Or is that just a sounding board with a face? Are we talking at God without hearing what he has to say? Are we praying by just speaking at him and then failing to tune in to hear him speak back? So all these ideas, realizing what prayer is. In Ecclesiastes 5, 1 and 2, we're not going to read it, but it talks about how to go when you approach the, the, the tent of God, to be able to go to, to listen rather than to speak and, and to be able to let our words be few. For he is God in heaven and here we are on earth. Let our words be few. Let us listen. Instead of just giving many words and speaking at him. So last week, I shared with you the example of how um, when Shaylin and I were, would walk down our street in Glendora several homes ago, and when she was about one and a half, we would stop at the Birds of Paradise flowers, right? And I was kind of sharing this story about how I was always feeling rushed, like we just got to go, we got to go. Like this natural rush inside of me of how we just got to keep moving, we're in a hurry. We had nowhere to go, we had no rush, but it just that natural thing was inside me. And so I remember just being like, I shared with you last week, Oh, it was just like, oh, we actually would stop and smell the flowers. We would be able to stop enough to be able to look and appreciate nature around us. Well, this few nights ago, a few days ago, um, there was a time when Elise was trying to get ready and she was taking a long time. And so again, I had nowhere to go, but I had this natural like rush and hurry inside of me. Like, honey, we got to hurry up. Like we got to, you got to keep moving. Can you please stop talking and just do what you need to do? And she's like, uh, she's like, okay, daddy. But then in the moment, God loves to do this, which is good, but he uses my own sermon words against, I mean, to encourage me, and he says, remember when you talked about just last week, the importance of stopping and smelling the flowers and not being in a rush and a hurry so much? I'm like, yeah, Lord, this is how he speaks to me sometimes, and so I'm like, okay, I, I realize, okay, I need to not be rushed, and I look at Elise, and I look right past her uh, looking at our um, shower curtain, and it's a floral pattern, which a bunch of flowers. I'm like, I get it. I will stop and smell the flowers. Um, 
But this idea, that's how God speaks to me. That's one of the ways he speaks to me is being present enough throughout the day that it's not a one-time, quiet time, fixes things for all time. But it's a moment throughout the day, an attentiveness to his spirit, which we can hear his still small voice. The more we are still and the more we are silent, we'll be able to recognize his voice as a sheep knows the voice of his shepherd to be able to be slightly corrected and turned and encouraged and challenged throughout our day. And lastly, we've had silence and stillness. Now we have scripture because here's the big point. Test what you heard by his word. Test what you heard by his word. If you're in a relationship and you're in a marriage and there's some fights right now, but there's no biblical reason for a divorce and you feel like I'm praying about it, God says I need to divorce him. Would God go against his own word? No. If there's an opportunity to cut corners in business or to cheat on an exam in school, would you say, well, you know, he, he, he wants me to succeed, so it's okay to cheat or to lie or to steal. Would God go against something that's in his word? No. And so test the things that we are hearing by what God has already been speaking, by what he has written down, because all scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is good for and beneficial for rebuke and correction and all these different things. So if we hear something, we need to know his word well enough to be like, is God, is this you? Because if it's you, I'll go. But if it's not, I don't want to go anywhere you're not leading, and I don't want to hear anything you're not speaking. So I want to tune out the wrong voices and tune into the right one. So I shared with you the idea of a daily office, and I'll close with this. The first day I did a daily office, I had a moment when I was in my old office at, at uh, my old church, and I was praying and asking God to just help me to be connected to him and, and to feel his presence in this moment. And as I did, he gave me this, this picture that it, it made me laugh when, I, when, I, when he showed it to me or when, he, when I thought about it. So I hope it just gives at least a little bit of a chuckle to you because this idea of we can't be, we talk about plugging our phones in and how we need to be able to plug our phone in so that it has the power to do the things we want it to do. And, and yet for our walk with God, we need to make sure we are plugged into the right source in order to do the things that he calls us to do. And, and so I had this picture of how ridiculous it would be for me to try to actually fill up my phone by plugging it into like an actual apple, like the actual apple, not an apple phone, but like an actual apple. I just laughed. I was like, that would be ridiculous. It would make no sense and it wouldn't work. Now, for those of you who are electrical engineers, I do want to say that I looked into the idea of how there'd be citric fruit that has lemon with acid. If you put some copper into it and some zinc inside of it, you could create a conductor in which the phone could be charged. That's not what we're talking about here today. But this idea that... When we do this, if we were to plug into a source that cannot give us power, the enemy's words cannot give us power. The words of the world cannot give us power. And so if we try to find source in things that cannot give us power, why would we be surprised when we're depleted and exhausted and powerless? Instead, plugging into relationship with God, being still, having silence and Reading scripture so that the scripture reads us and we know where we fall short and we need to become more like him. Because here's the thing. All of us hear voices. Everyone listens to someone. Let's choose daily to listen and to tune in to the right one. Father, we thank you so much for who you are, God. And I pray that as we're in your word this morning and as we dive in, God, that you, are, that you would have challenged us, that you would have spoken to us, that you would... Um, encourage us that we would know that there's only one source to whom we can go to receive the power that we need. 
There's only one source in whom we can fully um, find our identity, and that's in you, Jesus. Help us to tune out the wrong voices. Help us to tune into the right one, and help us to choose daily to make that a priority in our lives. Lord, we need you. God, we need you every hour. I pray, Lord, that we would cry out to you in our times of need, in our times of joy, in every hour we need you. God, may we cry out to you and to hear how much you love us, that you are with us, that we are not alone, and that we can truly find hope and identity and security and recognize our value because we are your children whom you love, with whom you are well pleased. May we hear that voice about the clamor and avalanche of clamor around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I know um, there's a lot of stuff we talked about today. And if you're like me, you look at those temptations. And for me, it's popularity and performance. It's more than one. And so I know that I struggle with that. And I, and I know that it's so easy not to hear that voice of saying that I'm God's beloved son with whom he's well pleased. And I hope and I pray that that idea, that knowledge of the love of God would so permeate your soul and your being this morning that you could not help but be changed by the power of the gospel. And so if you want prayer because you struggle with one of those or for another reason, uh, I'll be here after service. I would love to be able to pray with you. But I do want to take just a few moments to pray for a few people at our church. And, and this morning, our, our team was a little smaller than expected or a little different than expected. Um, Susie, has had, uh, Susie Kuiper has had some really uh, bad back problems. And so we've been praying for her with a prayer request last week. Uh, we want to pray for her now because she's supposed to be on the team today. Uh, Art and Linda Gresham. Uh, Art, I think this is probably my first time that Art hasn't been in the back since I've been here. Uh, served dutifully and, and with a loving spirit uh, for, for many, many years. Uh, thankfully, Val and David Johnson have come in and really helped carry that burden, which is the beauty of the body of Christ, that we can carry one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. Um, but Linda has just... Um, She's having an angiogram today, and she's having uh, just some ramifications. She had to go to the hospital via ambulance a couple of days ago, and she seems to be doing better, um, but we're just praying for her. Um, and then we're also asking if you receive the prayer request, we're asking prayer for Jill Goodham. Uh, she ended up going to the hospital last night by ambulance as well uh, with severe abdominal pain, um, and they should be finding out more um, today, but we are certainly wanting to lift them up in prayer um, as well. I, I let them know that we'd be praying for them. So with that said, I want to be clear. Those prayer requests are not bigger or greater or more important than yours, that your requests. They're just part of the body of Christ and how we could come alongside. And as we want to be continuing to be a house of prayer, one of the ways we do that is by praying when things come up and by asking you, if you have prayer requests, to come forward at the end of service. So with that said, if you'll join me for two minutes as we pray uh, for, for those three um, situations, I would appreciate it. God. We thank you so much for who you are. We thank you that uh, we could be a part of the body of Christ who lifts one another up in prayer, that we can intercede on the behalf of those we love. We pray for Susie uh, with all that back pain and everything going on. I pray that you, your healing hand uh, would touch her now and she'd be able to feel relief from that pain and, and be up here singing with us once again sometime soon. 
We pray for um, Art and Linda as they've just kind of gone through a little journey in the past uh, few weeks. And God, I thank you that they were able to celebrate their 50th anniversary before these things came up. Uh, but then also just for her health and uh, pray for wisdom for the doctors uh, and for Art to know uh, just how to go about what the next steps look like and that she'd be feeling well and, and back with us soon. And we pray for Dan and Jill, specifically Jill Goodamore, that um, whatever this pain is on her uh, abdomen, you know. God, I pray that you would um, draw them close to one another as they draw close to you. I pray that the doctors would know what to do, that the next steps would be clear. We pray, God, for healing miraculously, whatever's going on, Lord, that you would work in a powerful way, God, and we pray that you would help us to know how best to come alongside Susie and the Greshams and the Goodams and everyone else here that may have prayer requests. God, we thank you that you hear our prayers. You know the cries of our hearts. And we're thankful that you love us so much that you care to hear what we're going through. So God, we lift them up to you. We pray, God, that you would um, bless each and every person that is here this morning and that we would hear your voice and choose daily to tune into you this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you all. Thank you guys so much for coming. We look forward to seeing you next Sunday morning and uh, have a great rest of your weekend.